Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the SDSU Football Podcast. I am Andre Hagverdian, and I'm joined, as always, with by Paul Garrison. What's up, Paul? What's going on, Andre? How's everything? Everything's good. How's everything with you? You know, I'm fine, man. I'm uh, really excited about the episode that we got coming up and the interview that we were able to do and talking about the depth chart. So it's just, it's, it's a good episode, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we, we have a special guest coming up interview um, in a little bit. But first, we want to talk about uh, the post-spring camp depth chart that the Aztecs released, you know, probably about a week ago. And what we're going to do, we're going to split it up into two parts. Uh, today's episode, we'll talk about the offense. And then uh, the following episode, we'll talk about the defense and special teams. Sound good? Perfect. Yeah, let's do it. All right. If we talk about the offense, no other way to start it but than to talk about the quarterback. No surprise, Braxton Burmeister is listed as a starter. Uh, Coach Hoke mentioned that during, this, during spring camp. No issues there. What did jump out at me is the fact that the backup quarterback role is not fully defined, meaning uh, Will Haskell, Kyle Crum, and Leo Am- Amavai are listed in the, as the oars, meaning they're, they're all still fighting for that second spot. Do you find that surprising? I wonder if it was a little bit of a self-fulfilled prophecy. When camp started out, you remember Brady um, talked about the three freshman quarterbacks and he kind of bunched Haskell in with Crum and with Amavai. And we weren't sure if that was just, he kind of misspoke, but here we are at the end of spring going into this very important off season. And they're all three at the same place. It's difficult. You know, we weren't there as often as we would have liked or would have been able to um, had it been open to us, but In the time that I did see them, I did not see Haskell separate himself from the rest of them. And even in the spring game, when he played well, he did throw an interception because there was a little bit of pressure and he throws off of his back foot. He throws it high. His receiver's there. But because he throws it high, he allowed Sedaris Barfield to be able to get to it. Um, so it's it's really, really interesting. I think overall for all of the whole depth chart, um, I don't know that I've ever known the SDSU coaching staff to be so indecisive. How many oars are listed on the page, you know? Um, but what do you think about the quarterback position? I would agree with you that based on what we've seen or the limited amount of what we see saw during spring, uh, it makes sense in that fashion but i am still surprised to not see a clear-cut number two and for it to not be will haskell given the fact that he's got an extra year in the program i don't know i, I just i you're right being in this it's it's very rare to see three people listed in one for one spot you a lot of them are ors, right one or the other this one's a one or the other or the third and so it it, it did surprise me when i had to kind of Look, keep looking at it when I was when I first saw the depth chart to make sure I was reading it correctly. So yeah, it is surprising. I mean, it's still spring camp. There's still a lot of time left up until fall. But it, something we've talked about is, you know, Will Will has had a lot of opportunities to kind of take hold. He obviously didn't get become the starter and didn't win the second spot outright. So what does that say about what the coaches feel about his? you know, progression so far through, you know, 10 months into the program. So it, it, it's don't want to make too much, too big of a deal on it, but it is still, it was surprising. It surprised me for sure. No. And I mean, I think that's the interesting part about these, this depth chart, having followed it now for years, I can say with confidence that it's not always upfront with what it says there. 
And the coaches can use the depth chart as a means of motivation. And it wouldn't, you know, in, in your prediction about just, I mean, about where Haskell will be, you know, this time that he has over the next few months is supposed to be a big jump for him. And so maybe this is the coach's way of saying, look, you either step up and you become the quarterback that you have shown at times that you can be, or these young guys are going to, are going to pass you because they've only been there now for a couple of months and they're listed as, or, um, the flip side of it is, you know, you want to, you want to encourage whatever quarterbacks come in to enroll early and you want to make it seem like it matters. So you're going to want to encourage that by saying, look, if Crom and Amavai don't come in early, they're not listed as or, and they are clearly behind another freshman quarterback. And so you're wanting to encourage all of that. And it, it's possible that they're sending those kind of messages by the way that they listed it. Nonetheless, I think overall, the biggest takeaway from that should be that there wasn't really a quarterback competition in spring camp. Um, Braxton Burmeister came in won the job fairly easily and he barring something, an injury, something strange, he's going to be the starter going into the season. You know, he was just better. He was head and shoulders better. He looked confident uh, on all those different things. He looked like the only quarterback um, in the times, you know, that, that, that just felt like he belonged. I I don't know how else to say it. Um, The other quarterbacks, you know, they were pushing, they were, they were uncomfortable um, in their own shoes as, as their own player. And um, Burmeister was not. And, you know, he's a tremendous athlete. He probably brings um, things to the quarterback position that San Diego State hasn't seen in a long time. And to be truthful, if you bring in a starter from a top ACC school to compete with three freshmen on your team, you're doing that. You, you want him to separate himself. And he clearly did that. Yeah. Moving on to running backs. Uh, not a lot of surprises at the top. Uh, obviously chance bell, or Jordan bird are listed as the starters in the or fashion for the main running back position. Uh, I was intrigued to see from those, from that next group of Jalen Armstead and cam Davis, who would have the upper hand. So Jalen Armstead was listed as three cam Davis four. What really surprised me is who's listed after them. Martin Blake, a true freshman walk-on, listed ahead of Lucky Avenger. A lot of people were talking about Lucky Avenger potentially competing for, maybe not the starter, but to be up in that Jalen Armstead and Cam Davis um, tier. But to see him listed below even a a true freshman walk-on, that says a lot to me. What about you? Yeah, no kidding. And, um, you know, he definitely was very difficult to tackle at five, six and 200 pounds. And, um, you know, there's, there's been running backs that have not many of them, but there's been running backs that fit that profile and they, they kind of give you the best of all of the worlds. They're small. And so they get lost like a small back, but then you can't bring them down with an arm tackle, you know? Um, and once they get going forward, it's very difficult to bring them down. I think you saw that in the spring game uh, with Cam Davis. I, you know, it's it's interesting. Again, it's it's all about interpretation, right? Uh, I think it's very interesting that Cam Davis is listed as or as the second running back. And what I don't know is if that means that he's literally right there with Jordan Bird for that spot, no matter what, or if they're saying that if Jordan bird wins the starting tailback job, then the second back will be cam Davis. And can you imagine the speed that gets out on that field? If Jordan bird and cam Davis are on the field at the same time, I mean, the, the, the screens, the, the motion, the different ways of getting the balls into their hands that Heklinski can draw up, you know, that's a, that's a scary proposition. Um, so I think that's, that's a pretty exciting place to be. It's a pretty exciting group. Um, uh, Jalen Armstead, I, I think that a lot of people were hoping that he would be listed as an or. He, he was listed an or, as an or for much of the season last year. And so Chance Bell definitely separated himself from Armstead. But 
as we've talked about, Chance Bell, Jordan Bird, they're small backs and they're going to need help. They're going to need people to have carries. And, you know, you look at these weights, 185, 170, Cam Davis, 180. And then there's Jalen Armstead, 235. And, and you just got to imagine that fourth quarter when when they're wanting to, you know, the offensive line is really laying on the defensive line. You're wanting to close out the game. You need a couple of yards. Um, you got to believe that Jalen Armstead is going to be playing a role in this offense. I think you like to see the, but on the same flip side of it is you like to see that Chance Bell and Jordan Bird both came back. You would expect them to be better than a sophomore. And the fact that they were, and they're listed on the top, I think, I think is pretty exciting. Um, how would you make out that idea of why Cam Davis is listed as, or for that second running back, if two back set? I think you're spot on with what, what your rationale was. If Jordan Bird is a starting running back at the T position, then he can't be the starting running back at the F position. So it has to be Cam Davis. I also think, they could, you know, Cam Davis might have a little bit more abilities in the passing game, running routes, um, things like that, and motioning out and standing in the slot. So maybe the coaching staff sees a little bit of a different skill set from Cam Davis than maybe a Jordan Bird has provided in the passing game. And maybe they like that. So I, I do agree with your rationale, but I think maybe they also see a little bit more from him, that potential uh that Donald Pumphrey, you know, motioning out to out wide and running slant or running a, a hitch or something like that. So who knows? Yeah. And I, and I think that we definitely saw a little bit more of Jordan bird getting vertical in the little time that we were able to watch him. And I think he's going to need to do that because teams were just sitting on any short route that he was, and they weren't even respecting any idea that he could get out there. I will say one last comment about the running backs, you know, just reading into it. I think this leaves the door open for the two running backs who are coming in as freshmen to be able to play, because I, I don't think that you're going to expect, no matter how good you might think um, Sheldon Canley and Lucky Sutton are, I don't think you're going to expect them to be able to take too many carries from Chance Bell and Jordan Bird. And if Jalen Armstead was able to elevate himself into that group, I think you would say the same thing that, okay, these guys are going to probably redshirt, but given the fact that Armstead is not listed as an, or I think that's a very, it leaves the door open that, um, you know, a four-star recruit is going to be able to come in and he's going to be that big back um, lucky Sutton, you know, um, from cathedral. So I, I think that also kind of is, is, is communicated in this um, and it should be a motivator to Jalen Armstead. Moving on to the wide receivers, there's uh, three wide receiver spots listed, the Z, the H, and the X. I think Jesse Matthews and Tyrell Shavers obviously are no-brainers. Uh, that third spot, I was curious to see who it would end up be, and it ends up with TJ Sullivan, who's uh, the other senior uh, from that wide receiver group. Um, we've seen – we saw him come in and make a big catch, I believe, at the, in the, Nevada, at the end of the Nevada game. Um, it was in Nevada or boys. I think it, it was Nevada. Yeah. You know, he's had a, a growth in spring and then we've got obviously Breon Penny who's listed as the backup to Tyrell Shavers under the X, but we know that you may be listed as a backup under X, but that doesn't mean you don't get playing time at different positions. So, you know, with the wide receivers, you know, a lot of these guys are going to get on the field. Uh, it's not like an offensive lineman where every the offensive lineman plays every snap unless they, you know, get injured or something like that. So, you know, people are going to get on the field. They're going to get opportunities, but obviously we know who the the starters are. What do you, what are your thoughts? You know, I think one thing that I didn't know about TJ Sullivan that became very evident in the conversations that we've had throughout the spring is how fast he is over and over. People talked about how fast he was. And so I think playing that like slot position, I think the idea was that if you wanted somebody like a, you know, a BJ Busby who played it last year, Ethan Dodeau, that you wanted that kind of shifty guy. And um, even though TJ Sullivan is six foot, 200 pounds, it seems like he has that in his game. Um, I think the other thing that jumps out is the versatility that these three starters should have. So if you wanted to motion Jesse Matthews into the slot and they kind of switch positions, I don't think you lose a whole bunch because Sullivan has played on the outside. 
I also think it's, you know, it's encouraging that, that they're going to be able to depend on people with age, you know, I mean, as, as exciting as Makai Shaw is as a player, as exciting as Darius, um, Dallas Reyes is as a player, their top four guys should be senior, senior, junior. And, um, you know, for them to be able to establish themselves that way, I think is, is encouraging. And, you know, talking with Braxton Burmeister, you know, that he mentioned, he mentioned these three top receivers. And, and when you mentioned TJ Sullivan, you know, he did have those, that reception late. He also, you know, um, years ago had that great one-handed grab in the New Mexico bowl that, you know, if you Google it, will will the link from ESPN and sports center pops up because it's one of the best plays of the entire bowl season. So he's always flashed that talent and for him to put it together and to make this big leap, um, obviously for a hometown kid, uh, who stuck it out, right. Could have jumped into the transfer portal and is now here as a starter. Um, you know, as they work in the off season, that chemistry can, can, can increase from uh, what they were able to do in spring. But I think overall, given the number of people that they lost last year, I think the wide receiver group is starting to look like it could be uh, better than it was a year ago. Yeah. Moving on to tight ends. Um, Mark Redmond's listed as a starter at the Y tight end position and Jay Rudolph at the H you know, Aaron Green is a backup under the Y and Gus McGee under the H. Um, I th- and then you got Cameron Harpole and then the true freshman Logan Tanner behind them. I, nothing, honestly, nothing jumped out at me as surprising on, on this. Uh, was that the same for you? I, I don't know if surprising is the right word, but I just I don't think you have to. First of all, I should say there are no ors listed there. So, right. so it does it does stand out just for the fact that they didn't use or there. Um, but Aaron Green, uh, a couple of years ago, we were talking about like his weight. He looks like a guard. Like, how could this guy play tight end? And then it was like, OK, well, if he's going to play tight end at that weight, certainly he's going to be the H back and he's going to be the blocking tight end. And for him to be listed at second, um, when we saw those other tight ends have really good spring games, because um, even at the weight that he was he still showed really soft hands. And so I think it's pretty, you know, a testament to him to be able to lose the weight and then to get all the way there to be the backup to, to Mark Redmond, you know, and then you have Jay Rudolph. I mean, that it has the makings of, of, again, lots of potential, but they don't have a lot of catches between them. And we'll see if they're going to be able to, um, you know, be that, middle of the field kind of safety net that, that they need to be in the offense. But man, where would they be without transfer Mark Redmond? I mean, right. this, this, you would really be looking at this as being like, Oh man, could Aaron green really go from being 275 And then two years later being the guy who's going to be replacing Daniel Bellinger, you know, you'd be like, ah, um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how, um, interchangeable they are to see if Jay Rudolph gets into the passing game a little bit um, and is able to showcase any of that. Um, Cause you know, that position doesn't really get a lot of receptions, but as far as the, the, I think it lined up exactly how you predicted it would. And um, I did think it was interesting. And again, sending messages, Logan Tanner is not listed as a Y. Right. And, that, and he, and he, to, and he told us, Hey, I'm a, pa- I'm a cat pass catching receiver. And that was what he said. And we were like, Hey man, you're going to need to block in this thing. And that's been the message over and over. And there it is again, you're listed. If you want to see the field, you're going to, you're going to have to be there as a blocker first. And so I think the, that message is um, being sent, which I think gives credence to the idea that there's message being, being sent all over the depth chart. We were talking about the youth and the speed of the wide receiver group. If they do have, a passing offense where they're able to get explosive plays down the field, the defenses are going to have to potentially keep two safeties back there. And guess what? That's going to open up the middle uh, for the underneath stuff for the tight end. So a lot of these tight ends may have then not, not big plays, not 20, 30 yard plays, but you know, the eight to 10 yard plays moving chains, things like that could be a big, uh, big boost. And then if we look at the last position group is the offensive line, probably the most, 
but most people are concerned about or worried about because of how many people were, were lost. And looking at this depth chart, it kind of falls in line with what Coach Goff told us on the episode he was on. Uh, obviously, you have Uluave and, and BCD back. Those guys are entrenched. Ross Ulugalo Masuli, everything, all signs pointed to him pretty much having that right guard spot solidified. But it's the left side that's still listed as or. It doesn't look like anybody has elevated themselves, right? Left tackle, you got Jonathan Harrison and uh, Xavier Leonard. And left guard, you got Cade Bennett, the transfer, and Kyle Trombley. Uh, anything that jumped out to you here? Well, again, I mean, I broken record. Uh, messages being sent. I mean, look at Joey Wright, right? He's, he's listed as the backup right guard. And then Josh Simmons is listed third. And when that was not something that was mentioned from coach Goff. coach Goff said, that's probably the only difference is that coach Goff said, Goff said that he would be that Josh Simmons would be the backup at right tackle. And for him to be an, or with somebody who could play, who is also there at the right guard, I think is, is, is pretty substantial. Um, I think you also saw a little bit of um, Joey Wright playing left guard as um, you know, Cade Bennett got a little um, dinged up and stuff like that. Um, So it's interesting that maybe that experiment didn't work and they didn't like them there because they didn't list them. Um, but there you have Kyle Trombley. When we wrote our article about the offensive line, that's where we put him saying that's the most logical place because there's no depth and called him um, coach Goff called him a Swiss army knife. And if there's a place where it's not quite working, that's where they're going to put Trombley. And there he is at left guard throughout camp. You know, they, they were interchangeable. Um, I, I would still make the argument that, that, you know, you look at the depth that is behind all of these players and even the starters, it's a very, very young group. And if you could get somebody in the transfer portal who has played some snaps, I think that that at least on paper would be a good move. And the flip side of it is, if they don't get anybody in the transfer portal, then I think they answered the question about whether or not the coaching staff feels like there's enough depth here and there's enough skill here to be able to, to get through the season. Um, but yeah, left side of the line is, is, is still that concern. And the, and the reality of it is if they walked out of spring camp and they didn't have questions on the offensive line, this would be the most amazing spring camp ever. They're, they're supposed to have questions still. It was just like the goal of spring camp was just to set the competition. And now the competition is set. Only one player actually solidified anything. And now it's set. So now, okay, now you have the off season. Go out there and make what it is that you can make out of it. And show that you should be the starter when the fall rolls around. It'll be interesting to see how different this depth chart looks uh, in the fall, because, you know, things will change from now till the fall and they always do, but it'll be interesting to see, especially on that left side, if, if they flip flop, right. Or the, or becomes a non or. So we'll see. That's going to do it for uh, a look at the depth chart on offense. Stay tuned for the next episode where we'll look at uh, defense and special teams. Our special guest today is Coach Hunky Cooper, the wide receivers coach for San Diego State for the past eight seasons. Prior to coming to the Mesa, Coach Cooper was the head football coach at Canyon Springs High School in Las Vegas, where he coached Aztec great Donnell Pumphrey. Prior to coaching, Coach Cooper was an exemplary football player, including playing multiple seasons in the Arena Football League and being named to the Hall of Fame, in addition to being named the fifth greatest player in AFL history by the league's Silver Anniversary Committee. In total in the AFL, he collected 9,000 receiving yards, 196 tackles, and 15 interceptions, while returning seven of those interceptions for touchdowns. We want to welcome Coach Cooper on the SDSU Football Podcast. How are you doing today, Coach? Doing well. How about you guys? We're doing great. Thank you for uh, coming on. 
Um, we, obviously, we obviously want to, you know, ask you about your current role at San Diego State as a wide receivers coach. But first of all, you know, before you got into coaching, you were a very successful football player. Uh, you were a quarterback at Navarro College and won a national championship. You played two years at, at UNLV uh, across six different positions under head coach Jeff Horton, who Aztec fans obviously will know as, as a coach on the current San Diego State staff. Then you played for the Arizona Rattlers in the AFL as a linebacker and receiver, not only were you named to the Hall of Fame, but the Silver Anniversary Committee ranked you as the fifth greatest player in AFL history. How fondly do you remember those days and how proud were you of that honor that they gave you? You know what, I um, everything that I am, man, it's been because of coaches and guys like Coach Horton and, and my high school coach, Paul Talbert. Those men came into my life um, at an early age and were able to influence and um that's why I love coaching college football. Between the ages of six and 22, I think where you could be the most impactful. I lost my father at 14, became a father at 18. So, you know, um, those guys that came into my life saved my life. So that's why I coach. Uh, it's a service for me to, to young men. So um, those times are great times. Um, those accolades, um, you, don't, you don't think about the accolades when you plan. You just know that if you uh, are honored by your peers, you've done good things. Uh, if you're on it by your peers, you've had some really, really good teammates and some, some good ownership groups. And um, that's all that means. Um, all I ever wanted being a, being a kid from East Texas was an opportunity, no better opportunity, no less of an opportunity, just the same opportunity. And I think my work ethic, um, my approach to, to the game of football, my, um, my passion for what I bring to the game and what the game has given to me will, will never be matched. Um, so um, it gave me an education that my mother couldn't afford. Um, it, it's given me a lifestyle and opportunity that I that I wouldn't have had access to. And people talk about a lot of different things. And, and that's the standard and the gauge um, about race, about religion. But um, for me, education has always been the equalizer. And, um, and, and I was able to get a, an education through a game. And so that's the same way that I approach. I want to give these guys an education through a game. Um, and, and there's some privileges in this game that because you can run fast and jump high, you get access to some things that normal people don't. And I, I don't allow those guys to, to take that for granted. I had the chance to speak with Sed Bonner, who's one of your teammates uh, <laughs> on the Rattlers. And he obviously said great things about you as a teammate, but he did tell me uh, to make sure to ask you about an accident you may have had <laughs> at the start of the 97. Oh my God, bro. Uh, while uh, mowing the lawn, you might have lost. Oh, do not listen to those dudes. You got to be selective in what you hear and who you hear from. <laughs> so 1997 season, I'm in Las Vegas. So I always worked construction um, um, since I was in college um, at UNLV. So I became really intrigued with construction and concrete and, and, um, uh, as a professional athlete, we know when we first started playing arena football, I was MVP of the league and made $18,000 gross. It wasn't enough to live off of. It was a game I loved, but $500 a game, $150 win bonus. Um, I was a guy that never played for a win bonus because, you know, I don't play any less hard if we lose. And, and, and you know, and so um, I let my grass grow. And before the week, I was leaving to go to training camp in 1997. And so I'm um, getting ready. I come home from work. And I'm going to cut my grass so it'll be fresh when I leave. And boom, my neighbor's sprinkler come on a little track home. And I had this really expensive snapper lawnmower. And on the right side, you had the throttle that pulled it forward. On the left side, you had the gas that kept it running. So as I was backing up between my neighbor's house and my house, I slipped. And my hand fell off of the gas, which would pull it forward. The throttle, which would pull it forward. And it kept it on the gas. And that lawnmower lifted my foot, went underneath there. And it cut the whole top of my shoe off the top of my big toe and the whole top joint of my second toe. And um, I was going to training camp that night. And, and crazily, um, in my neighborhood, there was always an ambulance sitting between the two high schools at a, at a gas station. So I take my belt off, I tie it around my leg. And fortunately, one of my friends is there that I work with. And he gets in the car and he drives me and I'm looking at my toe and he grabs it and put my neighbor comes across, puts it in a bag and put milk on it. I don't know what that was going to do, but Get to the emergency room, and here I am looking down at my foot, man, and that ambulance wasn't there. So they take me in, and I look at my toe, and I'm like, man, I'm going to training camp, and I have a big toe that's lacerated from the top of my shoe all the way down to the bone. My second joint, my second toe looked like a banana. It was just peeled, and there was grass clippings in it. 
And so I get to the emergency room and they clean it up and inject it. I got this belt around my ankle. It never bled. So I think the hot blade seared it. But I flew out that night anyway. <laughs> I flew out that night and I went to Arizona and Jerry Colangelo, who's one of the, the, the best owner I've ever think, thought about in professional sports. Um, I get there and his son-in-law is a plastic surgeon. So I go in, I have the surgery, I do a skin graft. I'm in the hospital eight to 10 days, man. And, um, and I'm just like, you know, dang, how do I, how do I get to play again? You know, so I get there and, you know, uh, adversity builds, builds character. I get there and I'm lying on my bed and I can't, nothing I could do, man. They take me to the surgical center. They want the skin graft to hell. So heal. And I, um, that's what I ended up doing. I was in the hospital for eight to 10 days, got it going. And so, after that, I was in my place down there, man, and I would go to practice every day. I'd go to, you know, just like I was going to play. And, and somehow I got a custom shoe made at a place called, I want to say, um, I can't think of the name of it. Um, but I had a custom mold built over the top of my shoe like the baseball pitchers do. And wow. so they can step on it, but it wouldn't mess my foot down. And um, and then they put some some wolf skin, sheep skin inside of it. So it would, you know, it wouldn't mo- get moisture and everything. And I get up at four in the morning and I'd be running and sneak out and run, sneak out and run, sneak out and run. Cause uh, this thing healed. I wanted an opportunity to, to play. And so um, I did that every night. And then my old defensive coordinator by the name of Doug K, I think he almost saw me one night and I was at the point South mountain, Arizona. It's a really nice resort. And I, I kind of, he, I think he almost saw me. He's an old Marine Corps guy, recon guy. And I slid down his hill, man. And I, I, I knew I was just caught and he didn't catch me. And so, while I was out, I really wasn't out. I was I was finding a way to get back on the football field. And then the 1997 season was magical when we went on to win the Arena Football Championship, Elite Championship against Kurt Warner and those guys and had an interception for a touchdown. I had a kick return for a touchdown and I caught a touchdown. And um, you know what? But that just goes to say the type of players that we had and in and the, in the, in the, in the time and days of the toughness and the, and, and the love for the game was so much different than it is now. Um, I had a responsibility to play to those guys. I was a leader of that team and, and just my presence alone made us better because they knew that I was going to give everything I had and, and they knew that as well. And just to get back from that injury was, um, it, it, it spoke volume, but um, I just talked to one of those teammates today, Mark Tucker, but Cedric Bonner is um, an amazing man. is one of the best quarterbacks that didn't play a long time in NFL. And I am, I'm forever grateful for him and our paths crossing. And um, I love those guys to this day. That, that was incredible. So you you leave the Arizona, I mean, so the, I'm sorry, the AFL, and in 2005, you move back to Vegas. You start coaching at Canyon Springs High. Um, during that time, you know, Donnell Pumphrey, he's there. What was your experience like with him, you know, in high school? And, and what was your kind of expectations for him as he was going to go off to college? Well, just if you go back to the 2000s, early 2000s, I was at Bishop Gorman for five years as an assistant coach and this strength and conditions. I had a kid named DeMarco Murray. And so I had Pump and DeMarco and them all training together. Quinn Carter, you know, um, all those guys together. And um, I coached them all the exact same way. Pump Pump was um, so instinctive as a running back. His work ethic is, I mean, he was a guy that was first in sprints. He was a guy that's first in the weight room. He's a guy that ran track. He was a guy that, that was he was first to the water, you know, and that's the way we competed. That's the culture we built there. That team was two and 28, that whole program before I took that job. I never applied for a head job. I was at working as an assistant coach and the head coach, it was two head coaches in four years at a brand new school and it was in my neighborhood. And so, you know, um, so I took over, I helped them in the hiring process. I was trying to, um, you know, vet coaches to, to take this job because I knew I was still playing. And, um, you know, it was, you know, and, and and I wanted to to give everything I could back to the game and to those kids, inner city kids, and that's what I done. Um, but I ended up taking that job, and the job paid me um, a thirty two hundred dollars stipend check. You know, I, I probably spent sixty five seventy grand a year out of my pocket because I cooked the hamburgers, I painted the field, I did grade checks every week, I, I created farms, I created an off season program with protein and workouts, and we had one hundred fifty kids in that program. We um, took a kid, a school that I was two and 28. Our freshman, sophomore teams went undefeated for the next three years. Um, our freshman, our varsity team, um, um, we, we won, we won our division and our conference for the next three years. We went deep in the playoffs every year and we had hundred percent graduation, hundred percent college placement with inner city kids. 
And what happened was we um we took it was mandatory that um that everybody had above a 2.0 before the end of the fourth quarter. I wouldn't let you pay 100 bucks when you had 36 weeks to school. And I wouldn't let you pay 100 bucks and go to summer school and make it right. So um, we started wearing shirts and ties. A victory for me on that campus was Coach uh, Coach. I tell the kid, you look nice today. And he said, Coach Coop, and I tied my own tie. And so we had ex-Navy SEALs. We had police officers and we had former coaches and guys coaching from wheelchairs and, and, and broken backs. And we went out and we changed the culture. And um, I know the way to save inner city neighborhoods is to save one young man at a time. Because when you build strong men and develop men, those are going to be the men that date your daughters. Those are going to be the men that lead the community. Those are going to be the men that, that generates the workforce. And if they go to college and, and get married and, and raise families, those will be the, that, that's how you change the neighborhood. And, it, and it's one male at a time. So we finished with a 3.23 GPA, which was higher than the Magnet program. There were 600 seats for Leadership and Law Prep Academy there. And uh, also a broadcast journalism school. Our football players topped that GPA. And we didn't no longer have banquets with pizza and salads in the cafeteria. We went to the hotels and ballrooms and we had guest speakers and we gave out academic awards. And, you know, and you 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 feed a kid some fish and you look up and the kid and say, coach, what's that orange fish? Or coach, why do you have so many forks on the table? I knew I still had work to do. So you had to teach them table etiquette and, you know, what's a salad fork and a dinner fork and, you know, and, and, and you know what salmon is because, you know, um, they, they, they've eaten catfish or they think, a chicken only come with chicken wings, you know, and so simple things that no normal people don't think about. You know, I I I thought we were doing a good job, but it's those little nuances that that we had to figure out, and we did. And um, we would do um, clothing drives, we would do uh, toiletry drives at the first home game. We would we had so much gear from t-shirts and hoodies, and I, I and I figured this out. When you have a good football program at an inner city school, crime goes down. GPAs go up, crime in the neighborhood goes down. And um, we changed the neighborhood, we changed the culture, and um, we changed a lot of young men. And some of those guys are circuit court judges, some are second lieutenants in the Air Force, some are firemen, some are police officers. My son is coaching at, um, um, at Oregon State University. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's amazing to see that this game that teaches character and build men, it's, it's amazing to see that once you, you put those, those ground rules about hard work, consistency, accountability, availability, and durability, what it does for a man the rest of his life. You build all of that, but then you come and reunite with DJ and Coach Horton here at SDSU. Um, what brought that change for you um, to join and come into the college ranks? Well, Coach Horton had been around a long time, man. He was at Minnesota, at Wisconsin for 11 to 12 years. He had worked with um, Coach Scott Linehan who was um, the head coach of the Rams and of the Detroit Lions. And, you know, he was my um, offensive coordinator in college. And um, and so I worked with Tom Cable and Chuck Pagano and John Pagano. All those guys were my coaches. And so I knew they were great men. And, and I knew that my gift was I could reach hard to reach young men. And so when Coach Chardon's at Minnesota and those other jobs, and I told him, I said, as soon as my son, AJ, who's, who's 26 now at Oregon State, as soon as he graduates, then then I'm I'm I want to coach college football, and he got here and um, Coach McDaniel's was here for many years and uh, a great young a great man that that's that's impacted so many lives and Coach Long was here and I played against Coach Long and Coach Hoke when they were together at Oregon State in the early '90s, and so I knew what Rocky stood for and and, and old school and culture and. And, and accountability. And so when Coach Hort, I told him, and um, he used to come and recruit my school. So they come and recruit. Stanford I, I came down to see Pumphrey. I'm too small. Oklahoma came to see him and said it was too small. Utah and all these uh, schools came in. And, and I said, you know, I knew I had played pro football. I knew I was, um, I played Division One college football. I knew what would it take to be successful on that level. And I told Coach Hort, on everything I stand for as a man, not as a football player. And he knew me as a man. This, this this guy is, is a good football player. And um, I had to clean some stuff up in his life. You know, he was just like any young teenager. They think they have it all figured out. But I, I had to, I had a support system around with the court systems and the judges and everybody that that helped these young men, tell them what they did was wrong, why it was wrong. And this is how we handle it moving forward. You know, so when you redirect a man, I think you, you, you give him new direction. And that's what we did with Pump. And Pump, if I were to, I mean, 
my rule was, I don't, no matter how talented you are, you're a freshman, you play on a freshman team because I wanted to establish dominance. If we beat them by 40 as freshmen, you know, then, then as sophomores, we should be able to beat them by 40. And, and, and we did that. And, um, and I brought him up as a, at the end of the freshman year. I brought him up. I bring 10 guys from freshman team and 10 guys from the, from the JV team because I wanted them to see that it was more than outrunning somebody or being more talented. Now it's about X's and O's. Now it's about down distance and situation. Now it's about scheme schematics on defense, offense, and on special teams and and, and how much more work went into it just, just outrunning people. And Pump was good at outrunning people. But when I tell you pound for pound, probably one of the toughest people you'll ever meet. And, and, and his statistics show that. And um, he came from the same type of system that we ran in Canyon Springs. He ran here. So um, my kids went to that school. They were in all AP and honors classes. They graduated from there. My daughter was a student body president. Pump was in student council. So not just being a good football player. But now I'm in student council. Now I'm on speech and debate team. That became popular at an inner city school that was 48, 48% Latino, 46% African-American. And so now it became popular to wear a shirt and tie. Now it became popular to wear Canyon Springs football and they used to set up police substations and that wasn't happening anymore. And so when you have a good football team, it starts the school year off in a, in a great light and football builds everything else. Basketball team won state when we were there. Track had the best times and, you know, it was the same thing. And, and so, again, that's um, that's building culture. And the county commissioners were on my team, the mayor, the judges in that area, the police, everybody knew that we were doing something right. And they gave those kids an opportunity. If they did something dumb and they had to go to juvenile, they would bring them to me because they'd rather go to juvenile than to come to me, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's the way it became. But um, great times there. And that was one of the hardest decisions in my life to leave. And and when you go back, they they named the football field at you, not for wins and losses, but for changing the lives of young men and changing the community. And that had a lot to do with the people, the team that was around me and the principles that allowed me to take my vision and put it into work and, and, and them, them support it. Now, getting to the team that just finished its 2021 season, it was a historic season, 12 wins for the first time. We had Coach uh, Heck on the podcast at the start of spring camp, and we were talking about how the passing game improved statistically as the season went on last year. And, you know, that could have been due to multiple reasons. What do you think was the main reason why the passing game improved as the season went on? I think, um, you know, when you get into an offense you, that that you hadn't really been involved with, we were a 21 personnel offense, and you, and you and you play action off of two of the top running backs in the, in the history of football, Rashad Penny and Pumphrey. So you get a lot of one high, you can take shots down the field. So we, we were able to take a young Jesse Matthews as a redshirt a freshman and, and and throw for 700 yards, and a young Kobe Smith and go for 600 yards. And, and as soon as they get dialed in into that offense at an early age and and, and you play action off a of pump for a penny, you're going to get safeties down and you could take shots down the field. And we were able to do that and have a lot of success. And then you come in and you, as a receiver, you go to a four wide receiver set, a 10, 11 personnel. So, you you, you know, the thing is you, you think now the ball is going to be in the air more, you know, and, and, and that's not the case. You know, um, the RPO game is, you know, you know, you, 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 it's quick game. Everything's slants and it, and it, and it's, and it's hitches and it's a quick game and it's, I think it it took away, um, took it, it took time to to buy into this offense. You know, you had the COVID year where you didn't have a good season. Um, I think the quarterback receiver connection was, was was a big big disconnect. Make no mistakes about it. Um, I, I think that you, you have to to get guys to buy into what you what you're selling. It, it has to be some validity to it. There has to be some some consistency to it and. How do you take a redshirt freshman and a sophomore to go from six and 700 yards receiving that young and to not don't feel like they're involved in the offense? So those are the challenges that we had early. And so, you know, and then, you you know, you you have Kristen Chapman and then you have Ryan Agnew. And then all of a sudden you, you're playing with multiple quarterbacks. So multiple quarterbacks, you know, the old rule is if you're playing with two, you don't have one. That was my rule when I was a quarterback. So <laughs> I wanted to be the starter and, and maintain that. But um. You had a lot of different guys that 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 brought a lot of different skill sets. And so for, for us, the main thing was us was to be consistent as receivers, you know, be where we're supposed to be, getting in and out of our breaks, taking the right releases, understanding the concepts and and be ready. Because the minute you start complaining, you're not getting the ball. That's when you get it on third and eight and then you drop it. You know, you become frustration. So frustration set in. And then you you, you when you look at it, we we're only eight games into this offense and, and you're still learning and you're still teaching it at the same time. So 
now you got a guy like Jesse Matthews that that that's frustrated. You got a guy like Elijah Cody that's frustrated. You got Kobe Smith that's frustrated. You got these guys that feel like we um, we have a pretty good room and, and not not seeing the touches. The productivity is not there. And um, and sometimes you you feel like the model was broken. You know, we were a run first team. And when you're a run first team and you're running the ball for 250, you know, 300 yards a game, then then eight, if you're getting eight yards a pop on the run, I don't want my receivers crying about nothing. <laughs> if we catch them five yards a pass and they're getting eight yards a run, then we're going to run and we're going to be good perimeter blockers. And that's what our MO was. If you go back and look at those seasons, 2015 to 2019, we were really good at extending plays by blocking good on the perimeter. And that's, you know, and that's my pride, you know, um, no block, no rock. You know, we're, we're all inclusive and we're going to do whatever the offense tells us to do. But then again, you go, you, you had Lucas and then you, you had Jordan and then you had, you know, you lose, you lose a couple of quarterbacks, you know, Salazar, and then you lose, you know, um, who else was it? Um, Carson Baker. Baker. You lose Carson Baker, you know, when guys that we, you know, thought were the next quarterbacks and then, you know, um, you change the scheme and, and, and then it changes a lot of things. And in those kids, they had relationships. So again, so now you're taking something that's new, learning the nuances of it, trying to impose it and um, and put it in place, and, and, and at the same time, you now you got scars, you got kids that are scarred, you know, that are torn between my friends not here and our, now our program is going in a different direction. But um, it shows signs of a good team when you can play through those things. Um, you, you had Matariza come up and and do amazing things. Our defense in the top five in the country, our offense sputtered, 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 and you know, I'm a part of this offense, so I'm part of the problem too. But it's it's never a reason that that we we should ever be, you know, as low as we were in passing game. Um, no matter what offense we're running, and that that I take ownership to that too. So um, I'll never blame anybody. I just know we 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 got better, you know, and 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 the better we play on offense, and and then and our defense plays better, you know. So for me, um. Frustration, you know, set in with everybody, but you got to coach them through that as well. You know, you look at Jesse as he's the last five games. If you look at Tyrell Shavers, what he started to do. You look at what Elijah Cody started to do down the stretch, and you look at T.J. Sullivan coming in and big games in play. And you know, so we we had some versatility, and we got some good young guys from San Diego and Makai Shaw and Darius Davis Reyes that are, you know, Breon Penny. You know, those guys are starting to surface now, and you develop them, and you have the right amount of senior leadership. With experience now, with a with a good pool of young talent, and um, and now yeah, again the quarterback room is, is forever changing, and you got a guy that can that's that's experienced again at that spot now, and can really can really do things. But you go back and look at Lucas when when he had to make throws and make throws. You go back and look at Jordan Brookshire coming in the Boise game. So we know those guys had some toughness and some accountability for what they were doing, and I think um, we we rebuilt some trust. And um, I started spending more time with quarterbacks receivers and timing and and heck started you know giving those guys to me more in the day and just like with tight ends we started to work with them and start to if I'm the receiver coach I think the footwork and everything needs to be the same and in and out of breaks so we as a staff we got a new tight end coach so getting all these new things together getting them on the level and expectation of what we expect here great season but there's so much more room for growth and um, that's what we got to look at the the opportunity the, the the potential to grow and not only the potential, but we have to grow because there's no way that with a defense as good as we have that that we could shouldn't be able to produce and be consistent on offense. And I'm, uh, we will get to that point. You know, Coach Heck also talked about how he gives all of the offensive coaches a role in coming up with the game plan. What role do you primarily play? And do you find that unusual that the offensive coordinator gives all of his coaches on the offensive staff that that much of a, a role into that? Well, everybody has input. You know, at the end of the day, yes, um, I'm, I'm, I do third downs. I look at third downs, and um, and and, and that's that's a that's a two edged sword too. You know, when you you third down, um, a red zone. Um, how we do in the red zone? I I do red zone philosophies and and what I think we should do when you're in the the plus twenty five, the high red. If you're taking shots, the more you the closer you get in the red zone, you become more condensed, and there's less you can do. They stretch, make you stretch the field wider. So my deal is um. You know, I I do third downs. Um, I look at the passing concepts. I come in and look at you know what they're doing defensively and um, um in the secondary. Who who's the guy that I think we can find the best matchups on and you know when and how do we attack them? You know, um, but our scheme is still our scheme. You know, so we 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 got better as the season went on at at putting in plays 
to get Jesse to, on, on, on a corner that we didn't think were would, could match up with him at, at getting Tyrell in vertical routes and, you know, and looking at their leverage if they want to press Bell and, and or, or press us in, on a 6'6 six, six receiver, you know, finding those matchups, you know, so and, and everybody has a defined role. But at the end of the day, you know, you, 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 know, you, they, they, you got to execute. You got to execute. You got to be able to protect if you're going to throw the ball down the field. You got to be able to run the football on first and second downs. You, you got to stay out of uh, pre-snap penalties on first and second down. I don't have a play in my playbook for second and 20. I don't. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, we, we have guys that are really, really talented. And um, the, it's hard to beat an opponent when you're beating yourself. So eliminating self-inflicted, you know, um, penalties, pre-snap penalties, post-snap penalties, and putting ourselves in situations that 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 make you punt the football. We had to extend the ball, extend the, um, um, the drives on third downs, and like our defense do, get off the field on third downs, and, and then couple that with really good special teams play, and that's what makes us a good football team, you know. And, um, and but by 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 leaps and bounds, would this offense be better? Because I think we have more defined roles as players. And, and I think we, you know, we now you lose a lot of guys. You, you lost Kahali Warren early. You lost Dan Bellinger early. You lose Cam Thomas. You lose um, guys that could come back and, and guys that you had, you know, counted on being here, but they've had some success and they're going to go change their lives forever. So now you got to fill those holes. So it's always a delicate balance of of what you have, what you planned on, and, and, and what you have to develop. So, again, um, that's our job as coaches is to find that right mix and, um, and, and continue to develop these guys and the guys that have been here and they know what's expected of them. And young guys, I, I'm, I'm going to try to out-recruit my room every year. That's my job is to out-recruit everybody that's in my room every year. And um, there's no big paychecks or low responsibility, and I, I take on that. you know. And um, for me, um, it's about developing um, tough guys, tough players that, that uh, when I say availability, be what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to do. When I say accountability, I know I can trust you. When you think games on the line, you don't think plays, you think players. And, and, and the last thing is durability. You may run a 4-3, but if, if you're not healthy, I can't use you. You may run a 4-3 if you're running to the wrong spot. I can't use you. So getting those guys like Jesse Matthews, that he's not going to be 4-3, but he's going to be for sure. Yeah, and so transitioning into the room, uh, tell us more about Jesse Matthews and just his movement um, from walk-on player to now star player, um, looks like he's he's got a great shot at, at playing in the league. Um, what what has that been like for you to see his growth and to coach him? That that that's that's what you want as a coach. Um, in my going into my eighth year now, every other year, pretty much, I've had three walk on guys earn scholarships. Going back to Curtis Matthews, I mean Curtis Anderson, um, B.J. Busby, and, and Jesse. Jesse was a guy that came in and just worked. You don't even know he's there. He's kind of like a Navy SEAL. Once you realize who you're messing with, it's too late. You know, it's, 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 it's too late. He's a nice guy. He's well-groomed. He's articulate. He's smart. He has a great football IQ. And he has a drive in him that people don't understand to be to be successful and succeed. But you get guys like him, man, that, that that's a blessing and a bonus because, you know, nobody knew he was going to be as good as he was. I saw him working. I saw his potential. I saw his transition. I saw his focus. And, and, and you get those guys and, and they change they change your culture. So I've always believed you don't coach your best players hard. You don't have the right to coach the rest of them. And um, he's a guy that I can coach hard. And he's a guy that so hard on himself, like Elijah Cody was, that you don't you don't have to get in their butts. But, you know, when you do, they they know he's a guy that when I tell him, you know, you're not going back in, you banged up, you hurt. You know, this game is under control. Coach, give me one more series. And then you put him in and he, and he hurts himself even more because you trust him. You know, that's the main thing for me. If I trust you trust you to, to return a punt if I trust you to return a kick if I trust you on third downs then 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 you're you've earned the right to that trust but Jesse is amazing man um, um academically athletically socially he, he is what you want and um, that's what I try to build in my room uh, is a culture of to where they're 100% honest with me they'll tell me things that they won't tell their parents and and I'm gonna give them the best information that I can give them based on my experience but I coach them hard I coach them hard. I challenge them. I'm, I, I think I bring a lot of energy. I bring consistency. But more than anything else, I, I bring toughness and, and accountability. I've always believed you have to develop the man first. If you develop the man, then the football player show up. But if you just develop the football player, that man may never show up. And there's a difference between being a football player and playing football. A football player, Icky Woods, my, one of my favorite people in the world. I love him at UNLV. And, but he could show up on Saturday and he would whoop your ass. I mean, he's just that guy. 
you know, but uh, uh, if you, uh, that's what, I mean, uh, uh, if you play football, you just show up and play. But if you're a football player, you're going to go do what's right in the classroom. You're going to do what's right in the community. You're going to help the young men. You're going to help develop the young players. You, you're going to, you're going to teach them the scheme and you're going to help at work do, do intangible things that they can't do. You're going to help them. And, and he has no problem with everybody coming in here. He's so confident in what he does and what he brings and how he works that he, that 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 he can spend that time with everybody else and still be successful. Like Tyrell Shavery, what do you think? A guy comes from Alabama, goes to Mississippi State, comes in in the first spring, and I told him, if that's the best you can give me, I got to find better. Coming from the SEC, coming from a national championship team, and he said, Coach, I needed that. And from that day, he's been a different player. He's been a different player, you know. And you know, down there they can line him up five deep and go. You know, whoever they put on the field and miss the beat, he's he's brought leadership. Jesse's not a guy that's going to speak out and say much. He's going to lead by example. But Tyrell is that guy that plays with emotion and is and passion on his on 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 his on his face, and he shows it. But he's 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 right after practice. He's going to call that group up and you're going to tell them we got to get better. We you know this is unacceptable, or we got to do this, or we need to take care of this, and and talk about decisions and and, and what you do on and off the football field. So he was a perfect fit to that room because some guys can come in and, and taint the room, you know, and so being delicate in who you allow back in your room and who you allow in your room. And he's never come in in big time as he never come in and said anything about the facilities. He's come in and work and he's made the guys around him better. And in turn, he's gotten better. And, uh, and, and a year that he's been here. So we had uh, Elijah Cody on, on the podcast and the first player that he mentioned from the receiver room kind of gave us a scouting report, you know, past Jesse, past Tyrell was uh, Breon Penny. And kind of right on cue, he goes and scores three touchdowns in the spring game. Um, well, what can Aztec fans expect from him now that he's fully transitioned from quarterback in high school to now being three years as a wide receiver um, going into his you know upperclassmen years? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and what usually happens is you get a kid like that is as talented as he is. He has a brother that plays with the Giants. He has a brother that's a first-round draft pick with Seattle. And, and he comes in and he thinks he's them. You're, you're not Rashad. You're Breon. So first of all, let's not put that pressure on you to, to, to be these guys. This guy's returned seven kicks for touchdowns. This guy with a first round draft pick. This, but this kid, and he didn't have a redshirt year. You know, um, Breon has the same DNA. He's big, he's fast, he's strong, and he loves football. He's gonna smile every day. It was it wasn't the the, the football thing that I had to develop in him though. It, it was a it was a personal things. It was the things of be, becoming a student, a good student. It was being studious. You know how to communicate with professors and and accountability. You know, um, that's what it was for me with him. And you know, and again, I talk about developing that man first. Whether you catch another first down or a touchdown or not, beyond it's not important to me. Whether you get that college degree and you're able to communicate and and be a provider for your family beyond San Diego State is what's important to me. And he understood that. And in order to coach a kid that hard and to take a kid and remove him from football for the length of time that we did with with the with the blessings of my head coach, you know, and that's you know. Coach Hoke is, is, is an amazing man, and, and the way he runs his program is, is what keep good coaches here as well. You know, so um, our culture is, is, is what it is, and, and there's no exception to the rule. You go out and you work your butt off. You keep your head down when you're young, and as you start to earn respect and trust and people see your playmaking ability, you'll get an opportunity to put that on the field. But with Breon, um, he's big, fast, strong. Um, this kid is the, – the, the only thing that can stop Breon is Breon. I mean, he's he's a vertical attack. He, I mean, he can he, he's a vertical threat. He can run the football. He can run the football. He's good with the football in his hand. He's going to be on special teams, punt and kick return. I'm not putting him back as a punt returner yet because I don't quite trust him in that area yet. But catching a kick, running through arm tackles, hitting the sideline, hitting the seam, that's where I think he'll flourish at. And also, you want to make sure that a kid is 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 you don't put too much on him. You know, um, I don't I don't want you to have that expectation when you put on this one thing to have that Aztec logo on the front. It's another thing to have Penny after what your brother's done here. So, again, to keep him in that understanding that you're not Rashad. And, um, you know, and I get I get in Breon Hyde parts often. You know, I FaceTime Breon when I talk to him so I can see his surroundings. You know what I mean? So I um, but um, he has become a, a student of the game. He loves football. And and, and this young man could, could really be. Uh, a breakout year for him, and I think we have the perfect mix of, of veteran players and 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 Tyrell Shaver, um, T.J. Sullivan, who's who's been here, a great shirt sophomore. That, I mean, senior that's going to be good. Jesse Matthews, and then you got 
the young guys that have learning from good leaders that know how to work, that are great teammates and, and, and have a, a tremendous upside. You know, you mentioned a few of those other guys, you know, TJ Sullivan, I, I believe on the post spring camp depth chart, he was listed as a starter at one of the three wide receiver positions. What have you seen from him in the spring uh, and, you know, how he can take what he did in the spring over to the fall? Most productivity I've ever seen from him. Um, he came in, kid out of Mount Carmel here in town, came with Lucas, offered him the same year. Um, had a torn ACL his senior year, gray shirt. Came in after that, got here, broke a fifth metatarsal bone in his foot. Kid just had some tough luck, and then he had guys in front of him that, you know, that were veteran players that could play. Um, and then now, this is the first opportunity he's had, not had to start, but but to be named a starter. And, um, and, and TJ shows something. He's a 10, 5, 10, 600 meter guy. He has great, he probably has a 38, 40 inch vertical. And as humble as he could be, another just like Jesse Matthews, um, quiet, but but very smart, you know, very intelligent, high academic kid, high football IQ, plays inside, plays outside. And he's going to give us an opportunity to stretch the football field. Um, he's on special teams as well. But I'm looking for TJ to have a, a really, really good year. Um, and, and, and with Braxton spinning the ball, man, I, I think with the weapons we have outside, um, and, 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 and the progress that we've made in this offense together and, and growing and developing it and fixing the things that we weren't really good at and enhancing the things that we had some success at, I think TJ has a chance to really be a good player for us. And I, 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 there's a possibility of him, you know, and, and, and catching that eight to 10 balls a game tar- targeted. And, and, and I see him putting up some really, really good numbers. What they do after they catch it is on them now. To close out the interview, there's two other young guys receiver, receiving wise. We wanted to just get your quick thoughts on one is Darius Delos Reyes, and then the other is Makai Shaw. What should we expect from both of those guys? Tell you what, man, um, I'm very, very fond of those guys. They work their asses off. Darius Delos Reyes, if you, if you look at his size and his quickness, his power, his explosion, he, he, he's he, he's explosive. The ball's in his hands. Just look out for him to make big plays. The more opportunities he get, the better football team we become. Um, he'll be going. He's tough. You know, he's five eight and a half, five nine. He's one hundred eighty five pounds. He's durable. He's physical. He's fast. He's a he's a Christian and he loves football. He loves people. He loves he loves being in that room. And 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 those are the the ones that love the game. Makes you a good coach. Makai Shaw. <laughs> He has all biology and math classes, all labs. And then the kid goes and works at Home Depot and played defense, came over. He was a corner when he first got here, came into the offense, learned the offense that quick, and he's productive. So I can tell you those two guys right there are high, pro- high output, high, pro- high productivity guys, low maintenance. Those are the guys I like. Guys that make my job easier, they, 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 they high producing guys. Low maintenance guys, and that's that's what my room is. It, these guys are going to be laborers, put in the work, and and, and the teams going to reap the benefits of it. And they'll you know you, if they pat in their chest, they better be saying my bad. But I'm I'm really excited about those two guys and Breon Penny, um, and I'll get some good young guys and Jacoby um, Kelly that's coming in from Loyola, big six three guy, Hassan Mahasan, who was a North Cal Player of the Year to go with these guys, and then Josh Nicholson is another 10, 2, 10, 300 meter guy, and um. It's just like having a new car, but you haven't put it on the freeway yet. You know, you just drive, stop, and go at the at the at the light at, at the lights and the stop signs in the neighborhood. But when we get them on the freeway, that means they're ready. Yeah, the excitement is definitely uh, buzzing with with the offense, the new quarterbacks, the receivers. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how the offense does in the fall. Uh, Coach, we want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, we definitely enjoyed having this conversation with you and getting some insight. Uh, we look forward to seeing how the team does in the fall. Thank you guys, Andre. I really appreciate you, Paul. Thank you guys. You, you do an amazing job, and and you and, and you guys take into consideration that these these are somebody's kids, and 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 the stories you guys write are very impactful, whether you know it or not, or you get the feedback. And, and me as a father and and a former player, I appreciate the, the professionalism that you guys bring in in, in your newspaper articles. Thank you. Paul, uh, we just had a, a, an amazing uh, interview with Coach Hunky Cooper. He's a, he's, a, he's a coach that the players, every player we've talked to that's either been a wide receiver or has been recruited by him, speaks to him as a father figure and a, 
just a great man. And so I think we, we knew that, but now we have such a better sense of, of what all these players have been talking about and why they speak glowingly of him. Yeah. I, you know, I think the interview spoke for itself, so I don't think we need to, you know, go into a whole bunch of different things. I was looking forward to exactly what you just said time and time again, people have just spoken so highly of um, coach Cooper and what he has meant to them. And then he just, he has such a passion for what he does and an unshakable confidence in his ability and in a belief in what he's doing. And it's, you can tell like, he's just sure of himself and he's sure of what he's doing and why he's doing it. I mean, so then the one thing that I would want to comment that I, you know, just didn't really didn't understand until we spoke with him was what he did at the high school level. I mean, you know, that's amazing. Absolutely incredible. Crime rate goes down. Um, it's cool to wear a, a suit or to be to wear, you know, the school gear for all the kids who were there that, that they saw so many players come out the opportunity to be that father figure to all of those kids. Um, you know, it's just another coach that I think the Aztec nation and the community can feel lucky that they have in the program. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the interview does speak for itself. I mean, I jotted down a lot, a lot of the things that he said just seemed to resonate just as, you know, a, a, a teacher, a mentor, a leader, um, a lot of things that resonated outside of that. Obviously, the story about his accident with the lawnmower and flying to Arizona that night and then um, not missing a game and then being the champ, uh, AFL championship MVP that year, intercept three touchdowns with an interception from Kurt Warner returned for a touchdown. I mean, that the story and the detail he went to on that accident and that injury is uh, I'm really glad we asked him about that because uh, I don't know too many Aztec fans that that knew that I didn't know that obviously. Uh, so that was, that was an crazy story. I, I didn't, I didn't know that he would go into that depth. So when you had sent me over the questions that, that you wanted to ask, I'm like, really, I don't, oh, this one, this might not go well. And the moment you uh, intro it that you spoke to Bonner yeah. And then he just starts laughing and he knew what was coming. <laughs> it was yeah. absolutely perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed um, our review of the offensive depth chart and uh, the interview with coach Cooper. Um, and uh, we will talk to you guys next time. You are listening to the SDSU football podcast presented by the East Village Times with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.